0: Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So glad to be speaking with you today and so excited to be sharing today's interview. Please make sure you hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so and get excited to hear from Oliver Luckett. Oliver is probably not a name that you are familiar with, but you are definitely familiar with the brands that he has represented and helped to build. In previous companies as an entrepreneur and as a senior level executive at Disney, he has worked to cultivate the the brands of Woody from Toy Story, Dory from Finding Nemo, and Cinderella. Additionally, he has represented artists and acts like Steve Aoki, Mark Wahlberg, Russell Brand, The Chainsmokers, Charlize Theron, and Pitbull among many many more he understands the social network and has been ahead of the curve on the digital revolution for years and years making his name and making his business there he came on the show today to promote his new book which i strongly recommend the social organism and to share some knowledge and wisdom from a long twisting successful career that he has carved out for himself I'm so excited and honored to be sharing today's conversation with Oliver Luckett.
1: You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson.
0: So Oliver, thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I'm excited to be speaking with you today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I feel like I'm going to do a lot of name dropping in this episode because you've been behind the scenes for so many uh, cultural moments that have happened. But to start things off, we I just want to make sure we mention uh, your book. It's been zipping up the Amazon charts. It's The Social Organism, A Radical Understanding of Social Media to Transform Your Business and Life. And what's interesting yeah. is if you search for it, uh, the book falls under a business book, uh, but it's really kind of a, a guide to understanding life in the digital aid. You have this premise of the entire social network being this biological system and being governed by uh, the, the rules that are applied to biological life and ecosystems. And so I'd like to start off by just asking you why... This is such an important concept for folks to grasp.
1: Yeah, you know, I've had a really varied career uh, ever since I was a little kid. I was kind of curious about about the world and, and how it worked. And when I was 15, I was a very disruptive kid in school. And so I had a biology teacher who literally pulled me out of high school and put me working in a research lab and I studied human platelets um, and the arachidonic acid pathway and how when you, you know, kind of what's called from cut to closure and and the systems in place. And then I I went on to college and studied Renaissance French literature and, and the creation of mass media after the invention of the printing press. And then got into the internet in 1996. I did voice over, the I, voice over IP, uh, built the first domestic network for a company called Quest Communications, and then went on to uh, build one of the first video sharing systems and one of the ones that rewarded creators called Rever. And then started moving up the, the stack even further and got into representing everything from the Harry Potter franchise to. Uh, Twilight to a bunch of celebrities, Pixar, I became head of innovation at Disney, uh, and then really jumped into uh, the celebrity culture that was emerging on the internet, especially inside of social media. And so I've had this very interesting viewpoint of the world and have really seen from the back end uh, a lot of changes that have happened in our culture at the same time. You know, we really moved from a top-down model of communication with broadcast systems ever ever since the church, all the way through to broadcast television, broadcast radio. And then the internet really disrupted all of that. And so what this book is about is I was asked one time to draw the future of social media from my perspective. I was given this little award from a a magazine and I, I took it seriously and I tried to grasp or tried to draw what I thought you know, this future looked like. And the only thing that kept resonating with me was this concept that we were 1.3 billion organisms connected via these very open, flat systems like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And the only thing that resonated over and over was this idea that we were 1.3 billion biological systems that were now creating this new system. And the only metaphor was that of creating a new form of life. And so the, the metaphor really stuck. I started it about three and a half years ago, started publicly speaking about this concept that if you looked at the rules of life, the kind of seven definitions or tenets of life that are in every you know, biology 101 textbook, that they really started to apply to the behavior of what I was witnessing inside of these systems, everything from superspreaders to you know viruses to the idea of cellular halonic life forms, and so it really stuck. And and it's it's fascinating because when we started writing the book, uh, I met Michael Casey uh, two years ago on Necker Island, on Richard Branson's island. I was speaking about Bitcoin, of all things, and which is a distributed system, of course. And so we really hit it off, and, and he offered to write this book with me. And as we started exploring this metaphor even further, we could really apply it to almost everything that was happening, whether it was the election or whether it was ideas that were suddenly popping up in our culture or changing mindsets overnight. And so it really stuck.
0: Yeah, and I think that another thing I'm just so interested to ask you about with this premise of the book, and just generally being someone who has, as you've said, seen kind of the back end of these networks and of these acts and uh, these different, you know, celebrities or brands that you've represented. It's interesting you mentioned Bitcoin. We just did a, a segment on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin a couple months back, and what I was struck by for the people in that community is there is an optimism for the change that is coming about with this digital revolution. And I'm curious in the other ways that ideas are spreading and the type of um, avenues that acts and artists have to kind of bubble to the surface, the, the, the power that they now have in this digital age, do you consider yourself optimistic about sure. the impact of these technologies?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean there's there's a big premise. Look, we we just went through three fundamental communication changes over the last, you know, 10-15 years. First was TCP/IP which removed time and distance from the equation, right? It decentralized things. It removed time and distance. It made this kind of uncorruptible network, if you will, of multinodal network on on the internet. The second big thing was this idea of Social, the idea that anyone could become a publisher, right? And now the third idea with with Bitcoin, or really blockchain, is that we now have incorruptible identity. You know that that to me is the biggest thing that's happening. Right now we rely upon Facebook mainly for our digital identity. But I predict in the future, we will use these distributed, quote, uncorruptible, trustless, trusted systems uh, like blockchain to really build our own personal identities. And those three things work in unison. And so I'm remarkably optimistic because what it's doing is it's allowing for new personal freedoms and personal freedoms of expression that have never existed in our human history. And as long as we don't fall into traps, you know, Facebook right now is a very interesting trap. There's been so much controversy around fake news, around a lack of real real identity it's it's really a casual digital identity it's the closest thing we've gotten because facebook works so hard to try to you know validate you as a person on the system uh, which is very ironic we when we were first when i was first building the audience i remember going to facebook's headquarters and talking with the the kind of elite facebook executives there and I said to them, I said, you know, we're really having a big problem. You know, Mark Wahlberg has three or four hundred fake pages. You know, I know you give us the power now to consolidate them, which is something that we started when I was working at Disney. But how do we know this is the real Mark Wahlberg? How do we know this is the real? And and one of the executives looked at me and she goes, you know, Oliver, everyone is real on Facebook. And I laughed. And, you know, now they have this big problem in their hands of, certified users of sources of information being valid or being fake. I mean, just today, Pizzagate uh, happened where, you know, somebody went in with a gun to the pizza shop in, in Washington, D.C. that was part of this conspiracy that uh, the Clintons were harboring, you know, pedophiles and a sex ring. And, and you know, these are the types of things that that unless we have a you know all three of these layers of the network working in synchronization, where we're having trusted, validated people in the system, and 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 have some form of checks and balances. You know, then we're looking at problems. But I'm remarkably optimistic because I've seen what it's done to enable creators, enable people with interesting ideas to really you know move past. Uh, the top down approach you know anyone now with with a voice can at least put their voice into the system of course this system is completely dependent upon the nodes of the network each of us is individual cells of the network to replicate these ideas reproduce these ideas create memes create you know all of the different tools that we have to communicate in this this new architecture but i'm remarkably optimistic because it, it, I think it allows us to gather together to to find people that have like minds to help change people uh, that that you know that that need new exposure to things I mean I always go back to this idea that you know people are some people are homophobic until they have a cousin that's gay and then suddenly it's close to home because they've been exposed to it and they it normalizes it and I think that as we discover people's differences that will continue throughout our kind of human history, the more that we have exposure to them and the more we have access to them that's unfeathered, the more that we can assimilate difference and assimilate uh, the value that we have of learning from people that have a different perspective, whether they're artists or, or activists or, you know, people that, that, that put something out into the, into the system of value we now have the ability to discover it and to share it and to become part of it uh, at, at, a, at, a, at a different pace than we ever have in, a, in our culture. So I'm remarkably optimistic. At the same time, evolution of these systems does not necessarily mean progress, right? It doesn't mean that things are always going to get better. You know, We have to go through these moments of realization. Like I'm a, I'm a remarkably anti-censorship person because I know that from human biology or from, from, from living organisms, they have to be exposed to antigens in order to build up immunity to things. And so we have to still leave these free, open systems so that we can be exposed to some of the hate or be exposed to you know, uh, um, police brutality or racism or all or homophobia or all these things that, that people try to shelter each other from. It's, it's a positive thing to be exposed to them, to be able to see what hate is and identify it and then be able to move past it and to grow from it. And so I am, I am really optimistic about things. I know that people have a lot of anxiety around the last election. They have a lot of anxiety around a global populist movement that's kind of breaking apart these systems but that's all part of the natural kind of you know chaos breeds evolution idea and so so i am i am very optimistic
0: and i would just echo that sentiment that If you're not experiencing those stressors, those antigens, as as you've said, it can breed a complacency and a belief that, you know, we've reached the pinnacle or we've made all the progress or the advancements or improvements that we can. So I think that's just a great point that I wanted to echo. Um, I also wanted to get back to this idea of identity and these different lowered barriers to entry in different arenas uh, you referenced mark Wahlberg. you we've talked about some other big acts and and you your previous business the audience helped both cultivate the social media presence of existing acts like a Wahlberg, but you also helped new artists rise to prominence one of the examples uh, that i want to mention was the promotion of the song selfie by the chain smokers um, and and how that later turned into the you know their world tour and many, many subsequent successes. Uh, But even breaking that apart a little bit further, everyone's goal might not necessarily be a broad level of celebrity. It might be simply, you know, career satisfaction or advancement and understanding these systems still contributes to that in the process of reputation building, of building connections, of exposure to new ideas, and personal education. So can you talk a little bit to the audience how these principles can be applied to their day-to-day life?
1: So, you know, what I always tell people, it's a very simple formula in communicating, whether it's in business or whether it's in your life, is that you? You need to add value to the system. I mean, in in the social organism idea, it's it's you need to add nutrients into a system. You don't just add. I always use the example of you know banner ads or, or non-nutritive. So, so you need to add nutrients to the system, and that means you're making content that matters. And so there's a very simple formula of the idea that you make content that matters to certain people. That And it could be a broad audience or it could be, you know, a small audience. And you need to get that in front of the people that it matters to. And now you have tools uh, like, you know, ad targeting, boost targeting, content targeting inside of systems, everything from, uh, you know, the outbrains of the world that present content across the HTML-based Internet or, targeting inside of Facebook using uh, Power Editor and the boosting tools to put content that that it matters in front of the people that it matters to. And then you need to do it at a time that matters. Uh, And sometimes you use it from voices that matter to certain people. And that's the concept of influencers. And so if you look at uh, the success of the Selfie Song, um, Adam Alpert had been contacting me since August that year um, to try to get me to meet with the chain smokers with with Alex and drew and uh, you know I was interested but it wasn't but it wasn't really exactly what I was kind of into or looking for and then I remember meeting in late September or uh, I think it was actually early late October and they played me a, a, about a minute sample of the selfie song, and and I thought immediately I was like, you know, this is the hit. This is the song that will that will get you out of kind of club life, um, you know, playing playing a set at marquee to to really being something big, a viral phenomenon. And the reason was it is that it it fit that that idea. It, it fit the idea because at the time the concept of a selfie. Was just emerging. It was, it, it really, uh, that year, uh, Webster's Dictionary had said it was the fastest, you know, up and coming word being used in our vocabulary. And so it hit at the right moment, at the right time. And then the formula that we did to kind of reverse engineer its success so that it would see the broadest audience was we used 46 of the influencers uh, that the audience represented, people like King Batch and uh, um, uh, Acacia Brinley, you know, on down the list. A- and the guys had had this concept of, you know, trying to include celebrities, of course, in the video. And so it worked extremely well because here we had a parody of a human behavior that had taken, you know, shape across a lot of people and we had built in to the video itself an audience of about 200 million people that were represented by all of the characters that were you know, put in, form, in the form of literally you know, a, a, a ribbon of selfies being put into the video. And so all of those things happened at once to make that the success that it was. It was a catchy song, uh, you know, the, guys, the guys made something that was really fun, it was using the Melbourne Bounce, it sounded current. But it was really a parody of a human condition that we were experiencing all together. And so it was really fit that formula of making content that matters, putting it in front of the people it matters to, you know, at a time that matters from voices that matter to them. And so that formula always works. Uh, You can't really dispute because if you look at any of these memes that have taken hold, whether we also worked on Dove Beauty sketches, which... I don't know if it still holds the record, was the most successful, successful digital campaign of all time. And, and uh, Unilever had come to our London office and said, look, we don't want to buy any media. We don't want to force this down people's throats. We want this concept of woman's empowerment and, and self-recognition to catch hold. And we ended up making over a thousand pieces of derivative content to try to match up with times, whether it was Mother's Day or whether it was a holiday in Argentina or, you know, we, we really tried to make it multi multicultural. Uh, we tried to make it, oh, I, th- I remember we did it in 13 different languages and we wanted it to be a, a, a kind of universal phenomena, and that worked as well. I mean, that piece of content changed marketing for a large extent so that people would really get around causes that mattered to people and try to match the brand of something like Dove to the set of values that, that you know the women that use it uh, have or, or need to attach themselves to. It also gets to this idea of what a brand is. So many people think that a brand is the packaging or the visual representation of it. A brand is really about sharing values with someone. It's about a set of shared values. And so the second that you as a person can begin to articulate your values, right, let alone for a product or service that you represent, but the second that you can articulate your values, then you suddenly get into this interesting idea of how do I find the people that those values match with me? And that's, that's really the beauty of these distributed complex systems now is that you can really dig deep and find whether it's an audience of 500 people or an audience of 50 million, right? It's how do I match up those values uh, by using this technology and kind of the formula I talked about. And what's kind of interestingly baked into that story
0: is also how they were coming to you with this idea, knowing that you could help them. And at the place that you've reached in your career now, I don't want to go so far as to say that you're, you're a kingmaker, but you have a very clearly defined skill set. And I'm interested to unpack a little bit more your process for deciding what clients to work with, um, sure. what, what values you bring to your personal brand
1: that you then apply to the clients that you decide to work with. You know, I've been kind of behind the curtain, so to speak, for so long that it's been a really fascinating process over the last Now month of this book being out, it hasn't been out a month yet. It's only been out three weeks, and it's gaining a lot of traction. You know, I've I've worked a lot on movies, which you know, you go see the movie and you see the screening, and then you get feedback. You know, if if nobody has the book to read, which has been the case for you know up until three weeks ago, then it's hard to have a a a real meaningful conversation about a piece of art or a piece of content that you that you know that you haven't really experienced yet, but. What, what I think is is fascinating through this process, though, uh, is now I'm starting to put myself out there. And so I am having to kind of focus. There's, there's a man named Larry Thompson who... I just moved to Iceland in December of last year. I left 17 years of being in Los Angeles because I had sold the audience and it was kind of this moment of punctuation in my life and starting this book process and kind of moving into to another phase... And he came out here. I, I, think, I think that he came out here on behest of my father because he thought I'd gone crazy that I would move to a cold Atlantic <laughs> island. Um, but he came out here, and he, he gave me this great piece of advice. Uh, first of all, I think he instantly realized why I had moved to Iceland. but We could talk about that later. But he, he, he said to me, he said, Oliver, he's like, you need to be your own client every day for at least one hour. And I thought about. It, I was like, that's a very simple concept, but it's really hard to do. Because if you've been behind the scenes like I have, it's real easy for me. I mean, I represented six thousand different artists throughout a five-year period of my career. Let alone the brand of Disney and Pixar and you know, two hundred and eighty characters there. And then how did we take this monolithic idea of Obama and turn it into, you know, two hundred touch points of you know Obama for, uh, you know. Uh, or pet lovers for Obama women for Obama LGBT for Obama it all got down to this idea of removing yourself from this monolithic you know one touch point like Disney.com to you know all these different characters and attributes maybe people really liked Dory the Fish but didn't like you know Cinderella maybe people like this and that really paved the way for having Disney as more of a holding company than a monolithic brand right now you have Marvel and Star Wars I mean, you can't go and say Disney Star Wars, right? The fans would would reject that wholeheartedly, but Disney has allowed it to live on its own as a separate entity, but has given it the horsepower and the new creativity and the and 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 the fuel to you know make this amazing new franchise for a new generation out of it. And so, I think the same thing has really applied to my kind of being put back into are really being put into the forefront now as an author or as, you know, somebody that's being interviewed on this versus about my ideas versus, you know, being behind the curtain. And it, it, it has been a very interesting process. I'm trying to become my own client and trying very hard to, you know, really be able to articulate my values to the world. It's easy for you to step on the sidelines and say, you know, go up on stage and do your thing, and you know, remember these, you know, five values that we talk about, and these. You know, I used to call these these buckets of content that people would have, uh, because I got lucky. I, the process I went through when I would work with all of these celebrities that had never been, I call them the kind of digital immigrants. That had never been on on Facebook or other platforms because it had always been in film or music or television, was you know you're you're now needing to make your Oprah magazine of yourself, and every month Oprah's on the cover, and you look at your posting and your cadence and and, and the story. So come up with five storylines that are part of your. Um, You know, that are part of your brand and the storylines that you want to do and then make the content and then look at the feedback that you're getting from it. You know, that's a fascinating source to understand where to go with your personal brand is what are the questions that people are asking you? What are they responding to? We have all these feedback loops now with the like button, the share button, the, you know, on and on on the different platforms. And so those things really matter because if you have enough scale, then you can really start seeing meaningful data from feedback that helps you learn about yourself and helps you learn about, you know, your, your image in the world. So it's been really fun for me to try to apply my own, you know, my own teachings to, to myself lately. But, you know, you, there's always room for improvement.
0: Absolutely. And people can work on improving themselves as well by checking out the book. Uh, it's in Amazon. It's in, in bookstores. Uh, I saw a picture of it in an airline bookstore the other day. And if people yeah. want to connect with it, check it out or connect with you in the digital world, Oliver, where sure. can we direct them to to learn
1: more? Well, it's easy. I'm I'm Revelo Park, which is Oliver backwards and my brother's name Park. Uh, so I'm at Revelo Park on all of the platforms. Uh, and, uh, and my email, which I, which I happily give out is Revelo at Gmail, which is Oliver backwards at Gmail. Um, and so I'm pretty accessible in that respect. Um, you know, I just ask that people are respectful. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And having that faith in humanity, I expect most of the listeners will be very respectful, hope they'll reach out if they have questions or want to go a little bit deeper. Thank you so much for coming on, Oliver. I appreciate you sharing your time and wisdom with us. But as we do at the end of every episode, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue a actionable personal
1: challenge to the audience. You know, I think it gets back to what I was just describing. You know, if I were to challenge someone, even myself it's this concept of reverse engineering success is where do you really see yourself 5 years from now and how do you then fill in the blanks to get there because nothing is a linear concept right nothing happens the way we ever expect it to whether it's funding a company selling a company going on a date you know finding the right none of those things ever happen as the way they are but we can always have a distant vision And then we reverse engineer our success. We say, what are the three or four things that I can put myself in the right position to connect the dots to get to where I'm going? Because that's really the game is how do I connect these dots to get where I'm going? And so the challenge is really, what do you see yourself in a year from now, five years from now? And then how do you reverse engineer that success? It's a really remarkably powerful exercise that I have seen happen many, many times and very successfully.
0: Fantastic. I hope everyone out there will take that challenge and also do the requisite thinking, hard thinking that goes along with that type of process. Uh, Excellent challenge, Oliver. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and I look forward to feedback on the book as well. Uh, I think that so far I've gotten remarkably positive feedback uh, the, best, the best compliment I think I've ever received in my career was a woman read it recently and came up to me at a book signing and said, I look at the world a little bit differently now. And so hopefully that, that what I've put out there in the world will, will help people and, and, and change some opinions. So that's, that's my only hope. Thank you.
0: No problem. Absolutely. We just went deep with Oliver Luckett. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's episode. Please make sure you give it a share on social media if you enjoyed it and learn from it. And check out Oliver's book if you've not already done so. And get excited for some of our forthcoming episodes. We have plenty of more comedians, entrepreneurs, writers, and speakers in forthcoming episodes. So make sure that you're subscribed to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.